Well, good morning, Northern Hills Church. It's good to be with you here this morning. My name's Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. I'm our connections guy, and so if I haven't had a chance to meet you, I definitely want to find some time. Come uh, introduce yourself to me in the cafe. It'd be great to get to know you and know a little bit about your story. We're thrilled that you're here in this space this morning. Of course, I want to invite all of our friends that are enjoying us online as well. They might be uh, staying at home and mourning that Broncos loss a little bit uh, last uh, last night. Is it? Too, it's a little too soon. I get it. I get it. No, I understand that. Um, hey, I, I did want to start off, though, because I know just my interactions with you and some of the stories that I get on a weekly basis with you guys is that we have a church that has some decent thrill seekers in the house. So as a thrill seeker, I'm trying to get some leverage here with hands. Those of you online post, how many of you are thrill seeker in the roller coaster view of thrill seeking? How many of you love a roller coaster, a great roller coaster, a mediocre roller coaster? Who cares because it's just a roller coaster, right? I see a lot of hands and that's a good thing. We got some thrill seekers in that way. I myself am a roller coaster guy. I love roller coasters. The older I get, I don't go on as many. I think I got that inner ear thing going on or whatever that it makes me a little more nauseous than it used to. I can't do spinny rides, okay? I am not your guy to go on any kind of things teacup. And yet I can go on any upside down roller coaster, any wooden roller coaster that's about to fall apart and maim you. Like I feel I can be part of those kind of things, right? Well, if you were in Wisconsin this past summer and you were a thrill seeker that loved roller coasters, you maybe walked away from your experience not loving them as much. Did you remember this story? This happened at the Forest County Festival in Crandon, Wisconsin. Some of you are more familiar with the Midwest and familiar with where Crandon might be. But basically, there was a roller coaster that shut down mid-ride, okay? The coaster was stuck, but this is where it was stuck, all right? This is, uh, this is the, the photograph of where that coaster got stuck. Can you imagine this? Seriously. I was like looking at this story and remember it, it drew to mind. It was actually the weekend of 4th of July, July weekend that this fair was going on. First of all, don't ride coasters at fairs, okay? I think, I think they're just maybe not as good as the amusement park ones. I'm just throwing it out there. If you work at a fair, I'm sorry, but like that, that's just scary stuff, right? And so basically this coaster stopped right when it was in its loop-de-loop and just paused. And uh, they said it was a mechanical air. They had done some work on the roller coaster the week prior, but they didn't know what the issue was. And so emergency response team came from three different counties to help out these individuals. Here's another picture of just the individuals that were trying to get them off the coaster, right? And these individuals were stuck for three hours. Three hours upside down. <laughs> All of you are just like, uh. And yeah, here's what I love. We have like photograph after photograph after photograph of these people, right? We like celebrate that. Oh gosh, those poor people. Let me see their pain and take pictures of this, right? Like, <laughs> let, let's take pictures of these people's pain. It was crazy. Three hours stuck upside down. No one was actually uh, hurt. Um, uh, there were obviously um, individuals that were a little uh, scared. I, I, say, I say hurt. They were probably not hurt physically. Mentally, they're probably never riding a coaster ever again, right? But I, I just, this, this, this made me think of just being stuck in general. Because I think many of us have entered the space of Christmas and we have that extended family, or we have those, those relatives, those friends, those things that sort of steer up during the Christmas season. And in a lot of ways, we are in a space where we feel stuck. 
or we know of individuals that are in a space where they feel stuck. Now that may be your career. That may be just your job in general. You're like, I'm pining for these couple weeks where I can just get some time away from the office, reevaluate, maybe look at what the future holds for me. But it may go well beyond career. You may feel stuck in your life. Maybe the thing that you just feel like, oh, I'm in this space of I, that relationship. I've really gone as far as I can go with it. I feel this thing has stalled out in my life. Maybe this kind of thing that's going on with my marriage or my kids. Many of us, we're just stuck when it comes to our faith. We're stuck in that space of like, I am not hearing from you, God. And this Christmas season where I need to hear from you more than ever to be a vessel unto others, like I, where are you? Are you present? And we just feel this stucked nature. We feel frustrated that more isn't happening or going on. And so we've been talking about the promises of God. And can those promises of God help us to get unstuck? Can the promises of God that we've been talking about get us to a place where we're not so doom and gloom and feeling in that stuck nature that we feel like we are sitting in a coaster for three hours waiting for the emergency response team to show up? And some of us feel like that's not three hours, Brandon. It's been three days. It's been three months, three years of this feeling just stuck. So week three, we find ourselves in our series here, Promise Fulfilled. And what better time in December to be talking about the promises of God because it really encapsulates all things where the first Christmas took place. We've been intentionally taking time to be reminded that God does, God will always, God must keep his promises. And the story of Christmas is really proof of that in our lives. But today, I want us to land in the end of Matthew chapter 2. And this is where we're going to be living. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to verse 19. It says, When Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. He gets these dreams every now and again, right? Joseph, this is how he engages with God. Get up, the angel said. Take the child and his mother back to the land of Israel because those who were trying to kill the child are dead. And so Joseph got up and he returned to the land of Israel with Jesus and his mother. But then he learned that the new ruler of Judea was Herod's son, Archelaus. He was afraid to go there. And then after being warned in another dream, in a dream, he, he left for the region of Galilee. And so the family went and they lived in a town called Nazareth. This fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. Now we got to set this up a little bit. King Herod is toast, all right? He's dead. And in a dream, Joseph is instructed to take Jesus and Mary and their family, all the unit back to Israel. Jesus, <laughs> this, is, this is a good thing for, for the entire family. Joseph must have been thrilled as a father. He must have been thrilled to know this because he was no longer, there was no longer a threat to Jesus and his family. Herod would have died shortly after issuing that order to massacre male infants and toddlers of Bethlehem. Now, scholars debate how short that was after that decree. Actually, some even think it was a little bit more lengthy. It could have been months, even years after Herod's death where then Joseph actually got the dream and the initiation to say, hey, he's dead, go where you need to go now. But as before, God appears to Joseph in this dream and he's just given some instructions. 
Now, I think we could relate a little bit to Joseph, like, okay, if, if the first dream that I've had, and he's instructed me that my virgin wife is going to give birth to the Son of God, and oh, this is hard to believe, but it did happen, and I saw that all take place. Joseph is probably really building some depth of like, yeah, God keeps his promises. God is the one that fulfills his promises all the time. And so this would be very easy for him to just get up and go. And he's ready to head back home. But here's the problem. He learned some new information. Archelaus, Herod's son, is now the new king that's, that's uh, ruling. And this is a problem because if we thought Herod, which you would naturally assume Herod's a little bit of the mad king, if we thought he was mad, Archelaus is actually that much worse. What we know about Archelaus is that he was uniquely cruel and tyrannical. In fact, he only ruled over Judea and Samaria for 10 years before he was deposed because he was such a bad and mad and evil king. So Joseph, rightly so, is afraid. He's like, here we go again. Now someone else is that gonna wanna wipe out not only my son, my family, myself, and so yet again, he's confirmed to in another dream that, hey, go beyond and, and, and settle into a northernmost region of Israel, the region of Galilee. So Joseph, he's placed in a moment. He's placed in a moment. He's placed in this circumstance where finally things were about to change where finally he would feel the safety net of like, I could start getting on with my family and we could start doing what families do. We don't have to keep looking over our shoulders. And in a moment, things were safe and then they weren't. They weren't again. And I think many of you understand what Joseph's feeling because you feel like you've gained some traction in some certain things. Maybe you've believed in the promises of God. You've even seen some things where he's, he's shown himself and proven himself. And then in a moment, that can shift. In a moment, you can feel like, where are you, God? And I don't feel your presence or I don't feel your, you, you, that you're doing anything in this situation or this scenario. And you just feel stuck. And Joseph's stuck because yet again, he's pushed to hide and protect his family from evils that are making his way towards them. And it's easy to feel hopeless in those moments. Where are those promises? Even when you've seen, even when you've seen the fruit of God showing up time and time again, there's another tyrant. I'm afraid I'm lost. But here's what I want us to consider today. The first thing to consider in just seeing Joseph's demeanor and his persona and just, yes, ready to go, go to this place. Nope, that's not the place. Go to the next place. Is he has a really accepting kind of attitude. He knows that God is God and that his authority ends where God's has always been in his life, that authority of God in his life. And so he's looking, he's not looking for the latest fad or the latest shortcut of how to get unstuck. He's just accepting of what God's telling him, the promises he's making to him. He's entrusting himself to that authority in his life. So what if each of us could grow into just being more accepting. Just more accepting of God. I'm not saying that's an easy thing. It's not an easy thing in my life. But what if we just grew in being more of an accepting people of the authority that's been placed in our life, and that's God? We always talk about in spaces like this and on a Sunday morning that we can bring any and every question to God, and that's very true. He wants us to have that kind of relationship 
But what if we stopped asking questions and we just started accepting that he's up to something, that he's doing something, that he's moving in the spaces that are only right in front of our face, but maybe that he's moving even beyond in something bigger, just like Joseph. Because we find ourselves in the same place. We experience these same things, the same tyrants, the same fears. You feel stuck because these things hurt you. They disappoint you. They baffle you. They overwhelm you. And yet Joseph seemed to accept the situation. Get up. Take the child and his mother to Israel. First stop. And then he turns to God to tell him, hey, guess what? There's a new, new information I've come across. And that information is confirmed. Yeah, you shouldn't go to that place. And it's an accepting to take the next step, even though in a moment he seemed like his life was going to be changing for the better. Now, what I find interesting here is that acceptance isn't not dealing with reality. It's not like pushing the emotion to the side. Joseph's dealing with fear here. And so I would never ask you in the just a simple flippant acceptance of just God, his word, and his promises to not feel emotion with that. We're afraid of some of God's decisions for our lives and what he's opening doors or closing doors to. We're angry about some of those things. We're very emotional, but Joseph isn't denying that reality that he has emotion. He's just simply acknowledging the truth of the situation, expressing his feelings, and then looking to God for what God has told him to do. He's accepting that there's an authority greater than him, and that authority just gets to choose at the end of the day. I, I got to tell you, when I first moved uh, into our house, I did not want to accept that I am not a handyman. I am the worst handyman on the planet. I think it's almost a prerequisite for pastors a little bit, but I've met some pastors that are actually really good with their hands. So like, I'm just like, no, Brandon, this is just a you thing. Just own it. But I remember actually moving in the house and I, I like did the whole garage. And I was thinking, okay, I got my shelving space. We're going to have this kind of unit for all the DIYs that I'm going to do. And we, you know, started getting the new furniture in the, in the new house. And we were <laughs> making Ikea furniture, which will drive you to divorce your spouse. Um, but we did divorce. It was good. We, we got the furniture up and it was good to go. But I specifically remember my lawn. I'm going to get after the yard and I'm going to have the best backyard on the street because I'm a DIYer now and I got my own house and I'm doing the thing. And so I remember calling a buddy of mine who is actually a handyman. He's really good with stuff. In fact, it sort of shocks me. When we grew up together, I was like, you're not going to be that guy. And he's the guy building cornhole units and furniture with wood and just all these things, right? And so I was calling him and I was just impressed with myself. Like Home Depot will do this and Home Depot can contract this. He's like, I thought you wanted to be the guy. Why are you going to like have Home Depot? do everything for you. But I was just trying to break down the list of what you could do and what you could accomplish. Well, sure enough, I'm getting ready to mow my lawn with my brand new lawnmower for the first time. Well, brand new to me. It was used. And so I knew I wanted to sharpen the blades. I was ready to take that whole mower into Home Depot so they could sharpen the blades. And I'm telling him, I'm going to take the lawnmower in. And he's just pausing on the phone. You idiot. He's like, why don't you just unscrew the blades and then take those to get in to get sharpened? And I'm already feeling now my pride's in, in motion, right? Well, you know, I, I, I knew you could do that. And, you know, but Home Depot can do this. He's like, Brandon, 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 stop, stop, stop. He's like, why don't you just take your lawn into Home Depot and see if they'll mow it for you, okay? <laughs> what a jerk, huh? Like literally, <laughs> this is my good friend, but in that sarcastic tone, I had to accept it, guys. 
I had to accept that in my life, I had to acknowledge this truth of the situation. Brandon, you stink at this stuff. You even want to talk like you know what you're doing and you just don't. And sometimes we just have to accept God has us where he has us. And he has us there very intentionally because we want to ask questions all the time. And I'm not saying the questions are wrong. I just wonder if some of us are actually getting the answers and we're not accepting them. If we're just sitting on those answers and we, because we desire so deeply for them to be different, we're not listening and we're just asking more questions. We're trying to find new methods to explain our situation away. And in the midst of it, we're simply not trusting God. What if God has placed you in the exact place he's placed you to become the person you're supposed to be? What if he's doing that? Literally putting you in the place to become the person you're supposed to be. What if God is placing you in that place to show some true emotion, to be Joseph with him, to be afraid, to be concerned, to be angry. And he's placed you in the place you're in because he wants to do life with you because he wants to receive all that you have to give him. The good, the bad, the ugly. God is placing you in a very specific place for a reason. And we can't separate the emotion from the acceptance because there's gonna be genuine concerns, genuine frustrations, but he wants to draw you closer to him in those moments. And how many people have we seen, not just Christians, how many people have we seen that will take a, a crisis and they'll take that crisis and they'll try to colorful that crisis to death. You know that if you were in that circumstance or that season of life, there's obviously no way they could be acting that way, but they're doing it because they're just trying to pose or they're trying to act like they have it all together. Worse yet, or maybe even just not even worse, but just another um, example is those people that bury their heads in the sand because of the crisis, because of the place they've been put. And so they're burying their heads in the sand. They know themselves that they could take some really deliberate steps, take some deliberate actions, make some deliberate choices to get out of the mire that they're in, but they're not doing it. So they bury their heads and that they paint as acceptance. Acceptance is not denial. It's not denying where you're at. When you accept what God is doing, you don't stuff those feelings down and you let your heart die for your hopes. And then you just practice in the mirror, the smile and memorizing Bible verses. When you accept what God's up to, something that he's doing in your life, what you're understanding is that you're not rolling over and playing dead and then resigning yourself to despair. No, you lean into the emotion. You lean in to that very fear that Joseph was leaning into. I'm afraid. Here we go again. But God, have your way. Point me where I need to go. Confirm what I already have in my head where I need to go. And you trust God a little bit more and you put your faith in him a little bit more because you're there for a reason. Because he has you in that circumstance or situation for a purpose. And to get unstuck we are going to need to learn to be people that accept God more and accept his authority more in our life, to trust in his character, to do the right thing. And so Joseph returns 
to where he lived when he first met Mary, to a town called Nazareth. And the scriptures say here in Matthew's account, it says, this fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. There's a slight problem with here if you actually start digging into that scripture, into that statement, is that there's no corresponding verse in the Old Testament that backs up what Matthew's saying here. Go look for it. You won't find in the Old Testament that Jesus will be called, the Messiah will be called a Nazarene. There's no, nothing about Jesus being called a Nazarene as fulfillment of prophecy. And you could read and reread the Old Testament. If you find it, call me. <laughs> You're not going to find it. So what's Matthew getting at? What's Matthew even saying here? Now, I want to sound obvious here, and hopefully this is obvious. It probably warrants me saying it, though, is Matthew isn't mistaken. <laughs> Matthew is inspired by God and, and written word that is inspired by God. So he's not unaware that there's no such sentence in the Old Testament because he's a master of the Hebrew Bible. And this master is using Hebrew language to do some wordplay here. But what I want us to first look at is a clear term here, and that's that he will be called a Nazarene. And what we know about our God is this. He came in glorious humility, did he not, in Christmas? I mean, we're talking about the God King that didn't come with a ruling scepter and a ruling throne. He came as a wee baby, right? That's how our God came. He came as a baby, full of humility. And it's like he's leaning into this humility theme yet again, because what he's going to be raised in Nazareth. Here's what we know about Nazareth. He's born in Bethlehem. He's escaped to Egypt, but he's going to be raised in Nazareth. It's a place that has no reputation. Nazareth was a place that was known actually for immorality. It was a place that was known for this obscurity. You wouldn't be able to find this place on your GPS. And it was a place that you would never expect to see royalty, a place where you would never look to, to throne greatness or to have uh, be associated with great people, with great prophets, with great sages. That's not what Nazareth was. So being called a Nazarene, it wasn't a compliment. We see God leaning into the humility space again. Thank God for guys like Nathaniel, though. Because the guys like Nathaniel that we can read about in scripture actually just call it in what we're thinking. God, like, why would you do it this way, right? And so we see this, this, this reputation of a Nazareth from Nathaniel's mouth. And they actually find Jesus. This is upon Jesus getting ready to start his ministry. He's about 30 years old. He's starting to operate in his gifting. He doesn't get introduced by the Magi. And so he's recognized. And we find out Philip saying this to him in John chapter 1, 45 through 46. Philip went to look for Nathaniel. He told him, we found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathaniel just calls it Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Like he just calls it. Because that's what the reputation was for this very obscure, very unknown place. Jesus Christ the Nazarene, it's a title of scorn. It's a title of something else we're going to lean into in a second. But as Christians, do you carry that same scorn? I think you do. And it may not be the same scorn that we experience 
in third world countries and people that are literally trying to just get Bible into, I mean, we, we freely worship here, right? We freely gather to watch online and, and I live in a country where we can do those kind of things. But I do believe there are people represented in this room and online that have faced the scorn of being a Christian because you've lost family because of it. You've lost friendships because of it. There's people that still don't understand why you've put your faith and trust in someone you can't see and someone you can't touch. They don't get it. And so we've had to navigate those kind of relationships. The earliest Christians were called the sect of Nazarenes by the Jews. And they would come, that would always come with contempt. In fact, some of the pagans began to call Jesus' disciples Christians. And soon after being called the disciples of Jesus, being called these Christians, you would find yourself dead by Roman officials. If you were a Roman citizen, you would find yourself jailed. And so we can't forget that the notion of Christian came with that same kind of insult like a Nazarene would have. People were trying so hard to follow Jesus, follow the way, but they were also getting ridiculed along the way. They were also made to feel insignificant. How are you doing with that? You feeling insignificant right now? Feeling like, wow, I just, I don't know if I much really matter or what I contribute. I don't feel known. I don't necessarily feel needed. We wonder deep down, is anything good from where I came? We feel like the question Nathaniel's asking, can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from the family I grew up in of addiction? Is there anything good that can come from this broken marriage? Can anything good come from my kids having this kind of lifestyle, making these kind of choices? Can anything good come from fill in the blank, right? And so we relate to the Nazarene, don't we? We relate to that kind of insignificance where we all just feel like, well, maybe God just passed me over. Maybe there's just something that, that I didn't do correctly. I'm curious, how many of you would call yourself an influencer? I asked the roller coaster and I saw a bunch of hands. How many would call yourself an influencer? Raise your hand, raise your hand online. Look at zero hands, <laughs> right? Zero hands, we're all about the roller coaster. Heck yeah, influencer, not so much. Maybe insignificant, again, we could do that and maybe we're thinking it in our head and space a little bit. None of us would associate ourselves as an influencer. Why? Is because we've actually hijacked the term. We've hijacked the term and in our culture today, the term influencer means something completely different than what it meant when I was growing up. Now, I'm not that old, okay? So it's not that it was like when I was growing up centuries ago kind of deal. I'm just saying it's different now. We anchor the term influencer that, that you have to have 13 million followers. That's what an influencer is. Someone that can influence someone to buy a certain thing or to wear a certain thing or to dance a certain way or do whatever. That's the influencer. But I got to tell you, when I was growing up, influencer was a teacher. An influencer was a coach in my life. Influencer was actually distant relatives, a great aunt, a great uncle, a cousin that had invested time into my life. An influencer was somebody that I would see from afar that was teaching the Bible or leading that Sunday school class. That's what an influencer was. Someone who influences a person on the daily, the weekly, the connection point, right? And here we are now 
and I had to look this up. I did some research. I went online trying to figure out what is all these different articles and writers, what are they saying about influencers? And when I typed that in, what's an influencer? First definition that comes up is a person that has the power to affect purchase decisions of others because of their authority, knowledge, or relationship with their audience. So buy this thing and you're now officially influenced, right? Add you to the 13 million tab. We've hijacked the term and it makes me confused because when I was growing up, influencer meant so many other things. I gave up looking for any kind of articles online because all the influencer tabs were just social media. I didn't find anyone anywhere. See, I think for us, it's easier to wear the label of insignificant than it is to wear the label of being an influencer. Just the path of least resistance, easier to think of us in a, think of ourselves in a, what we might call a humble fashion, but maybe it's just more of a, our, the story we tell ourselves about how insignificant we truly are, how not much of a difference we're making. And I want you to write this down for this morning, just to draw back on it and just to think about it. When you have lived in a deficit for so long, when you have lived in a deficit long enough, it can be difficult to see what kind of supply you actually have. When you live in a space of feeling insignificant and unworthy and not being able to influence anyone, you've lived in that space, it's why you would raise your hand if I was asking, do you feel insignificant? But why you do not raise your hand when I say, are you an influencer? Because we've lived in that deficit. And so here's what I want us to do this morning. Because there's good news to all of this. I want us to accept. I want us to accept truth today. Because today we are going to reclaim the word influencer. Because what I want us to see is that God is a promise keeper. That God is the one that sees you as having influence. If the Holy Spirit resides in you, you are an influencer. You are someone that has influence in this world. And you are somebody that can get busy to the work of doing what God's called you to do. That you are not insignificant. That you are not hopeless. That you are not purposed. You are a person that has influence. And that's my encouragement today. And you have no idea how God's word just comes together and how he makes us all beautiful. Because somewhere as insignificant as Nazareth, he's still going to keep his promise to make sure he knows that the people of God understand how big and how mighty they are. Matthew 2.23, this fulfilled what the prophets had said. He will be called a Nazarene. Okay, slight problem. No Old Testament, God. Where does this prophecy show itself? Jesus being called a Nazarene. I can't find it. What does that say? What are you getting at? Well, in the book of Numbers chapter 6 and chapter 16, we have a group of people that were called the Nazarites. They weren't from Nazareth because you won't read that anywhere. But the word is closely associated with Nazarene, Nazareth, and so these Nazarites, what we learn about them is that they were a people that were completely set apart. They were set apart for God. They were set apart as holy warriors. Come on now. Now that's a good title to have. Some holy warriors were the Nazarites, right? 
They were set apart to do un, uh, like amazing things that were outside of the box for the kingdom. And Jesus' relationship to this term shows that he was also set apart, would be set apart as the Messiah to come as a holy warrior, but it gets better. Because I stated that Nazareth was this tiny, insignificant town. It was actually mostly laborers, mostly uh, builders, much like Joseph who grew up there. And if you think the small town you grew up in in that Midwest was really small, go to Nazareth. I promise it was much smaller, right? But there's t evidence in the Old Testament that it existed that you can't, or excuse me, no, no, no evidence in the Old Testament that, you, that it existed that you can't find it. But here's what's so fascinating about this hometown Nazareth. It's almost identical to a Hebrew word for branch. For branch, which actually immediately calls to mind a prophecy that is in the Old Testament found in Isaiah. Check this out. It says this in chapter 11, verse 1. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot. Yes, a new branch. Notice how branch is capitalized. Bearing fruit from the old root. These two related terms, holy warrior and branch, give us this idea that intersect with Isaiah chapter four, verse three, when we read about a passage that describes the restoration of God's people after the exile. Are you catching this? The prophets anticipated a Messiah and their anticipation was the holy warrior that was gonna come that this holy warrior would be a living branch from the dead stump of Jesse. This is of David's line. This line was a rebellious line and the exiled Israel line. And so most shock shocking of all, these massively glorious terms would come together to build the Messiah and that this Messiah would grow up in backwater Nazareth. So here's what's great about this. I told you about the Nathaniel question that he's asking. <laughs> well, can anything good come from Nazareth? And what I didn't give you was Philip's answer, who saw the Messiah 30 years old, getting ready to start his ministry and rock the world. Philip just looks <laughs> at Nathaniel and he says, come and see, come and see the works because the Messiah is alive. And friends, that message isn't just for Nathaniel and it's not just for first century Christians. It is for us today. Jesus is alive. The savior of the world is alive. This holy warrior, this living branch is present and he's moving in the place he has put you. He's moving in your life in the very place he has put you to do great things. That is a promise that is fulfilled in your life. He's ready to move. He is ready to move. In Isaiah 9, 6, these are the ones we're familiar with. Names of God. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. We've heard those. We've heard those in the songs that we love to sing. And those are awesome scripture. But he was also called a Nazarene. And yes, that means two things. Clothed in humility and clothed in power. But that means that something good can come from Nazareth. Because if the son of God came from Nazareth, then maybe what's taking place in my life, something's good gonna come from that as well. Because if you didn't know, the branch <laughs> that would grow when we are, he is the vine and we are the branches of that vine, were all these mini shoots coming off of the major shoot. And we are those branches that are being placed for the promise. 
This is what I love about God's word, guys. Did you know? Did you know that maybe the exact place, and the place could be a literal place, but maybe it's just the circumstance or the situation, the exact place that God has you. He has to have you. He has to have you to fulfill the promise. To fulfill the promise in your life to be Nazareth. That something good can come out of that. That something good can be shown in this world because of that. He has placed you in that very place. Are you seeing him? Are you seeing all of his promises come to fruition because he's placed you in that exact place to fulfill it? I had a conversation this past week and I'm telling you, this, this gentleman, he won't even know the way he ministered to me. This is a gentleman that's been at our church for many years and he's gone through lung transplant and he's had this in his life now for, again, he's been on the, you talk about a proverbial roller coaster. It's been high and lows of this lung plant transplant journey, right? He's gone through different trials. His body's been in remission towards a transplant. His body's taken in different windows. It's different medicines he's had to take. He's high and low, just being able to try to breathe in our climate. And he just got off some well-deserved vacation some well-deserved vacation in the hills, being able to breathe, being able to enjoy his time. He comes back and he's had a few tests come back from the hospital. He has lymphoma. And it looks like it's maybe bad. Incurable kind. I know the doctors are spinning positive and all those kind of things. But do you know this man? Brandon, (laughs) God's got me. Brandon, Brandon, God's always got me. I'm a son of the king. What do I have to worry about? And it's not just pithy and it's not just trite and he's not just trying to do it in front of the pastor to instill some hope in the spaces he's in. It's because he believes it. It's because he trusts that God has been with him every step of the way and that he bought him maybe five extra years, maybe 10 extra years based on the lungs. And if it's his time now, God has him. And that this isn't the end. This isn't the end of his story. This is the end of maybe his earthly time. If that's what even God wants, that's an influencer because he's influencing me and he's influencing so many others that he doesn't even realize about what God is doing in his life and the power of God for today, not just for the Old Testament, not just for the New Testament that we engage in, but the power of God today. Listen, something's coming and something's good's coming. And that's where our hope can rest. Something good, whatever it is. Something that's going to last. Something that's going to provide fruit. Something that's going to be fresh. Something that's favored. Something that's going to be a blessing. And it's going to come from each of us that choose to be influencers. The branches of the branch who are in Christ. And all those shoots have new growth. And yes, all of those shoots will also experience suffering. Because that's part of Nazarene. It's part of the insignificance and coming and clothed in humility, but also coming in power as a holy warrior and a, and a, a living branch. We have to, we have to get this in our heads so we don't get stuck. Is that Christianity? It's a badge of honor and it is a badge of suffering, but we link arms together with that. We link arms with the Nazarene that's taught us in what that looks like. That's the point of Nazarene for Jesus and it's the point of Christian for us. Two things can be true. You can wear this badge as yes, the badge of suffering and going through the difficult things and continuing to lean on God. And you can wear it as a badge of honor that this is not your home. This is not the end. That's what God's promises are to us. 
something good. <laughs> something good's coming. And something good came from Nazareth. And something good's coming for your life. Something good, even from what you can't see right now and where you find yourself. Something good is what God wants to do. And so this Christmas, as we look at what are a series of promises from God to us, maybe we can just embrace a little bit more of Joseph in that acceptance. God, okay, yeah, stay in Egypt until I tell you, all right, Lord, what's the date? Oh, that date changed pretty quickly. On to the next. Just a simple acceptance of that his way is better than my way. Places he's going to place me are for a reason. And that something good can come from it. Northern Hills, this Christmas, let's be a people that just lean into Christmas and all the dirty stuff that comes with it sometimes, right? I, I'm not trying to just paint and wax euphoria, but let's go into those spaces, trusting that God's placed us in those very Christmas spaces to get dirty with people, to be at that table and be like, did we really bring up politics at the Christmas table? Did we do that? And just love people through it. Let's, let's, let's this Christmas come in expecting that God's placed us in that place with that annoying person at Christmas. Cause you're maybe that annoying person at Christmas too. Okay. Maybe in line or maybe wherever he's placed us at the store or whatever that we're encountering and just saying that, no, these promises matter. And I've been placed here for a reason. Maybe this is helping me become the person I'm supposed to be. Let's do that this Christmas. Let's just enjoy this, the moments, the quiet moments. Gosh, we need those. We know this to hold on in the rich moments that we're gonna have to be able to see, yeah, wow, God. Wow, you came. <laughs> you came the incarnate God in all humility. And yet that can also equal this great, great power. Two things can be true, God. But let's be a people that hold on to those promises and know that one day they will be fulfilled. They will be fulfilled. They will be fulfilled in your life and my life. They will be fulfilled till the end of time. You want to talk about a roller coaster? That's what this world is, man. Lots of the highs and lows that we all experience. But guess what? That euphoric, that end game, once you're done with the coaster and you're like, look at what I just did. I can't believe I just went on that and was stuck for three hours. I was stuck. But God unstuck me. God unstuck me because of his power in my life. And he's doing something new in and through me, in the place that he's put me. Would you pray with me? God, we are giving you all the glory this morning for what you are doing in each of our lives, Lord. It's hard, God. Some of us are in really difficult places, Lord. We feel insignificant in our Nazareth space. But God, you are so much greater than that. You are so much bigger. You're telling so much bigger of a story something that's not just this insignificant thing. What good could come out of you? Lord, you have proven that greatness comes out of Nazareth. That greatness comes
comes out of the things you're doing in our life. And even if we can't see it in this moment or maybe next week, Lord, we're going to trust that you are doing that very thing in our life. We're going to trust in you, God, to make a way. We're going to trust you to guide us into Egypt, into, into Nazareth, into wherever you've called us to go, God, because you have done so much for us, Lord. We cannot help but be an outpouring of what you've done in our life outwardly, God. And so this Christmas, Lord, may we trust that your promises are fulfilled. They are fulfilled in our lives, even when we don't try to see them, even when we can't really even acknowledge, but that you're up to something and you've placed us in the exact spot you want us to help us become the people we're supposed to be, the sons and daughters, the Christians, the sect of Nazarenes that will change this world. And God, we trust that you can do anything that you want to do. We're declaring that today with the power of our mouth and the belief in our heart. And we pray these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. If you would like to learn more about Northern Hills, you can go to nhills.org. You can also follow us online on Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram for more updates and events. We look forward to seeing you next week.